matter or the things that are eternal. That's what it means, the things that last. They uh, will be here once all this is done, at time when it's over, what we've done for Christ. Those are the eternal things. Matthew chapter 13, you'll find that place, uh, that chapter, if you will. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 53 for this morning's exposition of the scripture. Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58. Find that place in the word of the living God, and we will read it in a moment. Then we will begin to explain the text for our edification and for the glory of the living God. Matthew 13, verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. He came to his hometown and began teaching in the synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then, then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and his own, own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. I've entitled uh, this section of Scripture, The Power of Unbelief, throughout the Bible, all of it. We see the power of unbelief displayed. And that power, the power of unbelief, is devastating to human beings. Let me give you a couple of examples to buttress the point. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, in unbelief, ate the forbidden fruit, and the whole human race was plunged into sin. And we are now living under the divine curse. Another example. The Jews were situated at Kadesh Barnea. You remember the account. They were poised to enter the land that God had promised them all the way back to Abraham and through uh, Jacob, Isaac and Jacob. But in disbelief, they disobeyed the Lord and they spent 40 futile years dying in the wilderness. Unbelief, what it does, it activates God's judgment against those who refuse to believe. Faith, on the other hand, activates God's blessing. The blessing is both temporal and eternal. The passage before us records the response of unbelief from the inhabitants of Jesus' hometown. This was, in fact, Jesus' second visit uh, to Nazareth. During the first trip there, after his baptism and temptations by the devil... Jesus taught in their synagogue is recorded in Luke chapter 4 and beginning at verse 16. He read from Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 2 and stopping at the A portion. That passage that our Lord read from in that first trip there uh, to Nazareth, his hometown, was a messianic prophecy. And Jesus told the audience after completing reading that prophecy, these words, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he applied the text to himself. He claimed by doing so that he is Messiah. They didn't believe him. And in fact, they sought to kill him. 
They wanted to throw him over the cliff of a hill. They wanted to get rid of him because they disbelieved his claim and they disbelieved the other things that Jesus said about himself and God with respect to them. But what's fascinating here in this is that he returned to Nazareth. Most of us wouldn't do that. If people threatened to kill us, we'd write them off. We'd say, mm, I'm never going back there or being around those people. But Jesus went back to Nazareth. You do need to understand it wasn't a social visit. He wasn't going back to see his mother and his brothers and sisters. It was a ministry. It was a mission trip. He returned to proclaim the saving truth about himself to them. Though they didn't believe uh, the first time, he gave them another opportunity to reverse themselves and believe in him. To me, that signifies him as a gracious Savior. What a gracious Savior. One more opportunity to change your mind, your disposition about me and come to saving faith. Jesus Christ went back to them. Isn't that good? He wanted to deliver them from sin and the dire eternal consequences from their sin. What a gracious Lord. Think about it. How many times did you hear the gospel and you didn't believe? But you heard it one more time and you trusted Jesus Christ. Thank God for his patience and grace. Amen. However, when Jesus went back, the second trip that we're looking at this morning, we see that the power of unbelief was operative in them toward him. And we'll also observe the nature of unbelief, how it functioned, how it operated in their life and circumstance. We'll see what it looked like. And I'm using as a heading here, first of all, unbelief obscures the obvious. Unbelief obscures the obvious. Now, you'll notice in verse 54, he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogues. Let's stop there. It was customary for traveling rabbis to be invited to address a local congregation. Of course, certainly you'd want Jesus to do it because of his growing popularity, and it made them want to hear him. They want to hear him preach, hometown boy, if you will. But their disposition of unbelief toward him had not changed from the first time he spoke to them there in their synagogue. They had the same mindset toward him. They had the same opinion toward, about him. They still had the same unbelief about Jesus. They were just curious. They weren't interested spiritually. They did not intend to obey it's just that he was well known. He's growing in popularity. I've heard all this and said, come on, we want to hear him preach again. You see in the text it said, he began teaching them. And you see further it says, so that they were astonished. That word astonished literally means to be struck out of oneself with awe and wonder. We would say... Um, their minds were blown. Jesus in his teaching, he so overwhelmed them with his teaching that it just blew their minds. Now the text doesn't tell us what he was talking about on that occasion, the second one. 
But we may assume that he at least shared some of the things he had shared with him previously about who he is. Perhaps he ran a gamut of things as he talked about God and heaven, uh, life and death, eternal life, true faith, real righteousness. Maybe he covered some of those things we just don't know. What we do know is this, that his teaching was unparalleled in power, wisdom, and authority. Nobody had ever in that synagogue taught like him. He was unique. In fact, in Matthew 7, 28, it says, he taught as having one having authority. What that is telling us, he's taught with power, he taught with privilege, and he taught with sovereignty. Jesus' authority did not derive from any human source. He, in fact, spoke with final authority. Think about that. Only God can do that. Only God incarnate can speak with final authority. And that's what Jesus did. He didn't go in and say, well, Rabbi so-and-so said, or Reverend so-and-so said. No, he said, this is what I say. Authority. They saw that there the second time as he taught there in Nazareth. On another occasion, um, officers, the temple police, were dispatched by the Pharisees to arrest Jesus. But they returned to the Pharisees without having done so, and I'm sure the Pharisees said, what are you guys doing? We sent you down there to get him, and you come back empty-handed? What's the deal here? Do you not know what arrest means? But this is what they said. The officers, they were clear about it. Quote, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. John seven forty two. The power and grace of his message arrested the officers. See, we ain't never heard anybody preach like that. And they said, well, we're not going to arrest him. Jesus' words, his wisdom, his power, the miracles, caused the Nazarenes to inquire, You see it there in the verse, verse 54. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? First thing you notice is they recognize his wisdom and they recognize his miraculous powers. They did not deny it. Well, we could answer the question. It's really obvious where it got them. Some things are just obvious. Perhaps you recall the Hotels.com television ad featuring Captain Obvious. I just love those. Those things are hilarious. Captain Obvious had a firm grasp on the obvious. And he said it with such profundity as if, did you not see that? I did. Captain Obvious could have told the Nazarenes where Jesus got those things. He got them from God. His teaching was unlike anybody else's. It's unique, it's unparalleled. His miracle working power was extensive. It covered everything. There's nothing beyond the ability of Jesus to do in the realm of the supernatural. He had no limitations. 
This miracle-working power invaded the domain of the demonic and freed people captured by those evil beings. Didn't matter if you were lame, he could make you walk. Didn't matter if you were blind, he can give you a new sight. It didn't matter if you couldn't hear a thing, you could hear from now on. It didn't matter if you couldn't speak, he could unloose your tongue. Jesus had unlimited power, his miracle-working power. And then to top it off, you're dead, no problem, get up. And the kid got up. I'm going to tell you something. Somebody like that, you have to know, where did he get that? It came from God. It came from God. Nicodemus knew it. Remember Nicodemus came to meet Jesus at night, and Nicodemus wasn't at that time born again, but he came and he said to him in John 3, 2, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Go, Nicodemus. Demons knew what the deal was. We know what the deal was. Jesus Christ, his heavenly origin, explains the power and wisdom of his teaching. Listen to this in John chapter 3, verse 31. These words, John the Baptist, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of what he testifies and no one receives his testimony. He comes from heaven. He knew what was true by first-hand experience. Verse 34 of that same passage, it says, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. Jesus came from heaven. He had been face-to-face with Father. He, he knew things firsthand. He didn't hear from somebody else. He knew it all, and he came here, and he spoke no wondrous words with wisdom, authority, and power. When he spoke, when Jesus spoke, he was a person who spoke, spoke who came from heaven. Miracles, his miracle-working power. Jesus told us about that too in Matthew chapter 12, 28. It was by the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered him to do the miraculous things he did. As the Spirit empowered his humanity, enabling him to do the things that the Father had given him to do, the works the Father had given him to do. As we've said, the Nazarenes didn't deny it. They knew those things had happened. The evidence was plain. It's plain. Think about this. They had everything they needed to know to come to the right conclusion. But unbelief obscures the truth. Unbelief says, no, 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 can't be that. Unbelief may obscure the truth. So what does unbelief do? The next heading, unbelief accentuates the irrelevant. It begins in verse 55. They want to talk about his former occupation and his family. And you might ask the question, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? <laughs> These things were nothing but smoke screens to justify their unbelief. They were so deeply committed to their unbelief, they said, well, let, let's talk about what he used. You know, he, he's the carpenter, Joseph's boy. Come on. 
who he is. And carpenter, by the way, is a broad term, meaning a builder or a craftsman. Growing up in Nazareth, Jesus likely crafted many farming implements, perhaps had done other building projects for his neighbors. And they all recall that. We remember him uh, building these things, maybe even built some cabinets for some of the ladies. Who knows? I don't know. They found it hard to believe he could suddenly exhibit such wisdom and power as he did. I remember as a kid, I want to make a point here, I was told by uh, one of my fellow kids that Jesus did miracles as a child. He, he was really waxing eloquence. And, you know, he, he turned um, a clay, he made a bird out of clay, and it came to life. I'd never heard such thing, didn't believe it. I was skeptical of it. Didn't, I couldn't, I never heard that in Sunday school. None of my teachers ever said, you know, Jesus did that. So I dismissed it, but I'll never forget it. But it wasn't true. That's been around a while, but it wasn't true. Uh, this puts it to bed. The people who knew Jesus from a child, they watched his childhood. They had seen him grow up into adulthood, manhood. They never talked about any miracle that he did while he was a child. It was a lie. His first miracle was John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana, when he turned the water to wine. So they talk about, uh, he's a carpenter. Then they talk about his mother, Mary. Um, you notice there were brothers, James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas. Roman Catholic Church claims that Mary was a perpetual virgin. That's not true. After the birth of Jesus, virgin, who was virgin conceived, she and Joseph had children to, uh, the conventional way. Jesus had, we see here, four brothers, two or more sisters. All of these are half-siblings, maybe seven additional children. They had a, a passel of children. The Roman Catholic Church teaches... Uh, something that's not true about Mary. Here, let me give you some principles how to address things when people say, well, something theologically or biblically and they hold something like what I just said about the Roman Catholic Church. Here's some principles you need to govern your thinking by. Number one, Scripture's authoritative. It's authoritative for what we believe and teach. It's authoritative because it comes from God, 2 Timothy 3.16. Second one, Scripture is inerrant. It is without error. It will not say anything that is incorrect. It can't because it comes from God who knows everything and he inspired nothing but the truth. And so this is what we have. Thirdly, search the Scripture to see whether these things that have been said are true. Be like the Bereans. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. See what the Bible says. You might be saying, well, Pastor, why are you talking like this? Why would you say something about the Roman Catholic Church and then give us these principles to help us to avoid error? Why would you do a thing like that? I'm glad you asked. Because that's a pastoral responsibility. Pastors ought to refute those who contradict sound doctrine. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. That's a pastor's job. 
We're to teach people the truth, and then when those come gainsaying or contradicting, opposing the truth, we're to refute that with sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, correct doctrine that's good for the saints. That's our job. That's why I tell you about that heresy of the Roman Catholic Church. Next thing, believe what Scripture says. Because what Scripture says is what God says. Believe Him, not man. Why would you want to believe some man when you have God's Word on it? And when their Word contradicts God's Word, you throw their Word out. Put it where it belongs, in the trash. This is about worth that much. So, here the, they, they talk about his mother and, and they talk about James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. At this point, none of them believed. Mary's the only one in the family who believed. James literally is Jacob. Uh, and Jude, Judas, Judas, by the way, um, was a common name in Israel. A lot of people named Judas. There's only one, of them, one named Judas who stained the name. And this Judas is the same one who wrote the epistle of Jude. James, the eldest, he became the leader. The eldest after Jesus, he became uh, the leader of the Jerusalem church at the resurrection. But they, they see all of that and they say, he comes from an ordinary family. We know them. Now, who is he coming here talking about? He's Messiah. And this for them was puzzling. That's why they said here in verse 56, after the sisters are listed, it says, where then this man get all these things? Get this. They couldn't explain him, so they rejected him. Their hearts were impenetrable. They had more than enough evidence to believe, but they obstinately refused to believe. Can't figure him out? I'll reject him. Isn't that foolish? Let me tell you what the problem, uh, another aspect of the problem is with people like this. John 3, verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. That's the reality. People don't want to believe because that means they've got to give up their sin. It means they've got to turn away from their sin you got to go to hell for your sin? Verse 20, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And that's the reality. They love their sin. And so because of the reality of the, the things that they knew, they heard the teaching, they knew about the miracles. And then you notice in verse 57 of our text, and they took offense at him. Our English word, scandalize, is derived from the Greek word rendered here, offense. The word here means to cause to stumble. A stumbling block Jesus was to them. One writer 
said this, shut out his divinity and Jesus becomes a stumbling block. They said, no, 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 he can't be divine. He can't be really from God. He can't be God. So stumble over him. Take offense at him. Who is he? Joseph's boy. So they move from being astonished to taking offense at him. They could not accept his claims about himself because they were relentlessly committed to their unbelief, raising irrelevant things. And those things were utterly unnecessary to be brought up. They had the facts. Verse 7. 57. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. We have our saying today, and his familiarity breeds contempt. Jesus says, I'm a prophet. That's what people saw him as. He was indeed. It's one of his offices. He spokesman for God, a spokesman for God like any unlike any other spokesman for God. People outside Nazareth regarded him as a prophet. But in his own hometown they didn't honor him. They said, We're too familiar with him. We think we, we know everything about him. Really they did not. They didn't know they had God in their midst. Matthew said it. He's Emmanuel. God with us. They didn't realize they had God in their own town. You you think about it. When he was building the things for them as a carpenter, that's the one who spoke it all into existence. Emmanuel. God with us. No honor their unbelief. Unbelief obscures the obvious. Unbelief accentuates the irrelevant. Unbelief spurns the supernatural. Verse 58. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Do understand, he could have done many miracles. He didn't do many miracles because of their unbelief. They, in fact, cut themselves off from a more powerful ministry in their town because they refused to believe. How foolish. They had the evidence. Let me uh, give you some additional thinking here about this. Jesus wouldn't do many miracles. It was useless to perform additional miracles since miracles were intended to attest to the truth that Jesus is the Savior and Messiah. But the people of Nazareth, they had determined to reject him. So what's the point? They were determined in their unbelief, no. So no miracles. Except for a few. 
a minority. He withheld miracles too out of, get this, mercy. You say, what? I thought a miracle would be merciful. It is, but out of mercy he withheld miracles. If he had done additional miracles in Nazareth, that would have increased their condemnation and misery in hell forever. Because the more light you have, the greater your accountability to God, and you reject him, the greater your punishment in hell. That's why he had a mercy he withheld more. If he hadn't, they would have been like Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Remember? Those cities that had seen an abundance of his miraculous works, and they refused him, and therefore their hell is going to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah's. Withholding miracles also is a sign of judgment. How so? Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Do not cast your pearls before swine. That's what you don't do. Don't take holy things, divine truth, and cast it before those people who utterly reject it. You don't get any more truth. Hence, you're judged. Hard-hearted people against the gospel. They harden their hearts and they say no to the gospel, the good news of salvation. And when it's withheld from them, that's an expression of divine judgment. Seems to me, you don't want to do that. You, you don't want to be that way toward the good news. I'm going to conclude. I'm going to tell you why this is important. I've told you, he, he, according to Scripture, two times he went to Nazareth, right? We do not have in the biblical record that he went a third time. And that was tragic for the Nazarenes. They were left in their sins. She said, okay. You had an opportunity, a day of grace... You said, no. You reject me? Jesus said, okay, I reject you. And when Jesus rejects you, you reject it. Moreover, when he left, it's as if the word Ichabod had been written on Nazareth. You remember you say, Ichabod was that? It means the glory has departed. Remember in 1 Samuel, uh, the Phil Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant and they took it and one of the daughter-in-laws of Eli said, the glory has departed. God is gone. God is gone. There's no greater desolation than when God is done. When he says No to a person. I read the story uh, a couple of weeks ago, reread it actually, by William Pope. I wish I'd read it yesterday so it'd be fresher in my mind, but y'all hanging. William Pope went to church with his wife. He was involved in the church with his wife. His wife died. 
William Pope, upon her death, he went and went to the pubs, and he was having a good time in the world. In fact, he was with some guys who would drink, and they would kick the Bible and talk about lack of truth that it was, and they just mocked the Scripture, mocked God. William Pope got sick, and uh, he was on his deathbed, and the preacher went to see him, and, and William Pope said, I can't repent. He recognized he is hell bound. He even quoted scripture. He quoted the text from Hebrews that he had insulted the spirit of grace. He had treated as unholy the, um, the covenant. He had insulted the spirit of grace. He had trampled on Christ. He understood all of that. He couldn't repent. And he said, I'm going to hell. And he knew it. He had sinned away his day of grace. It's a tragedy for Pope and the Nazarenes when God abandons sinners. You know, you want to take advantage of the day of grace when you have the opportunity to believe. That's what the power of unbelief does. It locks people in their sin and leaves them there carrying them to eternal damnation. But faith is the key that unlocks the cage. And a person is freed from their sin. Freed from their captivity to Satan. Freed to love and serve and honor Jesus Christ. Freed in forgiveness of sin and the possession of eternal life. That's what faith does. If you believe you haven't believed to this point, believe and you'll be set free. You become a follower of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there's a power of unbelief. There's also the power of belief. The power to be freed and be a child of the living God. Let's bow together in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for giving us faith to believe that we have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Thank you for your mercy to us, undeserving as we were, but you were gracious to us. For that we give you glory and praise. Help us ever more to aim our lives and energies, mental, physical powers towards serving you, salting you, nothing is more important time and eternity these things we pray in the name of Christ Amen